Well, good evening and welcome everyone once again to Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. My name is Peter Slayton. I am your host tonight and also executive director of Crucial Productions, which actually puts together Crucial Conversations and in the near future, other stuff as well. Joining me tonight on our show, we have Pastor Andrew Dirks. You've seen him around before. And then we have Pastor Steve Andrews, also seen him before. Pastor Dirks is in, he's in Aaronsville at Trinity Lutheran Church in Illinois. Aaronsville. I think pirate. Every other episode, I totally got it right. This is the first one I've screwed it up. (laughs) And then Pastor Andrews is at St. Matthew in Lee's Summit, Missouri. So thank you, gentlemen, both for joining us tonight. We are talking baptism. We are talking Luther's Large Catechism. If you are in the Grokmoot on Facebook, that's actually where this has grown out of. That is our Facebook group. We are going through a daily reading program. And so this show is a supplement to that for those of you who are going through the program to help you dig deeper into the text, to think like a confessor, to figure out how does Luther do what he does, and most importantly, where do we get this in Scripture? Baptism is a huge topic. Um, our, our, our own context uh, will determine a lot of what we talk about tonight, and I'm going to explain that statement in a minute. But first, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do that. Help us get to at least 100 subscribers because then we can do, like, cool URLs and custom stuff there. Um, we've got a website, crucialproductions.org. You can check out all the past episodes there. We have a podcast of these episodes if you prefer to listen to an hour-long episode while you're commuting to and from work. We got you covered. You can do that. So podcasts, we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play, pretty much any of those in your podcast app should be able to find it. So please do that. If you have questions and you're live with us right now, I'll be watching the YouTube comments, which for me are over here. For you, they might be over there. I don't know. If you're listening right now, I'm pointing to the sides of the screen, and this means absolutely nothing to you. (laughs) Um, Live questions on YouTube. If you're listening to this after the fact and have questions, you can send them to questions at crucialproductions.org, and we will get to your questions there. But first, Luther's large catechism. We are referencing specifically the Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, second edition are the page numbers we're using. So we are going to be talking page 423 to page 431 tonight. As we get going, some introductory thoughts here. Our particular Western context, when we talk about baptism, in our context, the majority of people that most of us are going to encounter here in American Christianity, Western Christianity in particular, look at baptism as an ordinance, uh, as a as an act of obedience, as a work that somebody does for God. Uh, a common phrase you may hear is an outward sign of an inward commitment. Uh, phrases like that, but all all of those pointing towards baptism being something that we do either for God or because God commanded it, um, or because it's part of the Christian walk and it's just that next stage in your Christian walk. Um, after you've decided to follow Jesus or whatever phrasing you may use as part of your Christianity. But that's the context in which many of us find ourselves. And if you're a Lutheran, which those of us right here are two pastors, myself, we are Lutherans. uh, Somebody comes and says these things to us. Well, we tend to get triggered. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, we we may not exactly respond. We will get triggered and we'll maybe fight back. And we immediately start an argument of, no, it's not a work, it's grace. No, it's not um, our work, it's God's work. It's not a symbol. It actually accomplishes something. It, it does something. It saves. It's not a symbol, it saves. And, and then we're just, we're in a fight. We're in an argument. And we've missed something entirely when we start off the discussion in that way. So tonight, as we talk through baptism, as our two pastors help us work through Luther's large catechism on baptism and scripture itself, we're hope, hopefully we will point out maybe a different way to approach that conversation. Because 
you are going to have people come up to you and say those sorts of things. It's you hang out on Facebook long enough and people find out you're Lutheran or you just post something about baptism. I guarantee you it will happen in your church. You may have somebody walk up and say, I've got those. They'll say that in your church even. Um, So our goal tonight is to teach you, here's what scripture says about this. And let's look at a different way to approach this question without getting triggered. Because some of those statements, well, we do do baptism out of obedience, but it's not just that. It's not only that. Um, it, It is a work in a sense, but it's not only that. And the primary person working isn't us. And so there are ways that we can actually work through this conversation. But pastors, I'm going to hand it over to you and let's start with talking about what sacraments are. I think that's a good place to start. How does God work? That's an even better question. So we can go back even further. Um, Whichever you guys want to start, let's talk about how God works with humans in the first place. So that we get to this point where we'll show you guys that baptism isn't a new way that God works. It's actually completely in line with how he always has. So, pastors, which of you wants to take this one first and take us back to how God actually interacts with people and delivers his promises to them? Yeah, one of the things we see throughout Scripture is that God always works through means. This is just simply the way he interacts with his creation, whether it simply be the means of his word or as we see later on in the scriptures, as we see the burning bush, we see the bronze serpent being used as a way where God's gift is given. We always see God working through means. He has something that has his promise. He takes something physical and attaches his promise to it. And when we talk, and this is understanding and seeing this pattern in the way that God works, it is we recognize this. And when we talk about a sacrament, we talk about a sacred act that God is doing. God does something sacred among us. And as quoted in large catechism from Augustine, when you talk about a sacrament, you have something with the word of God and an element attached to it. And so when we talk about baptism, it is water with God's word, not simply just water by itself, but the word of God in with underwater, etc. And when we talk about the Lord's Supper, we have the same with the bread and wine, not just bread and wine, but the true body and blood by the word and promises of God. It, it is one of the things that God always uses something external from us, because that way we have a place where we can remember his promise and where we know we have received it instead of having to go, well, my feelings have shown me that I know this or whatever else you may try to have. Yeah, and to, to connect into the last part that you said there, Pastor Dirksen, you think about the actual things God chose to use. And water. Could he have picked a liquid that is more common? <laughs> uh, bread and wine in the sacrament. Uh, culturally, thinking that they had more wine probably than we do now, uh, but bread is everywhere. So you see bread, and you're at least called to think of you're not having the sacrament when you eat a slice of wonder bread, but you begin to think in the direction of the sacrament. Um, with baptism, you, you know, uh, Dr. Cole at the seminary in St. Louis used to always say, remember your baptism when you're in the shower. And it's, it's actually <laughs> a, a helpful picture, even with the idea of a shower, because you're, you're washing clean. What does baptism do? But it is God's washing clean uh, his people. So I think those are helpful illustrations, and, and it connects with the Old Testament the way God was working then with his means in that place. We think of Abraham and the covenant God makes with him. The sign of that covenant is circumcision. Uh, circumcision is something that you're going to remember as a, a man, and you're going to see it. Just like we would talk about the water and, and the bread and the wine, you know, every time that you would need to use the restroom every time that you're you're bathing every time that you are are laying down uh to sleep with your your wife and your family uh, you're you're going to remember this thing Mm. and so that circumcision for them uh as the entry point into the covenant uh with god was a very vivid reminder that they would see it on a regular basis Let's let's keep talking about these these physical means, particularly in the Old Testament context, because I, I find in my own background, 
that it's very easy to separate Old Testament God and New Testament God. I mean, this is a very common thing in our culture. You know, there's the Old Testament God who's mean and judgmental and he wants to kill everybody. And then there's Jesus in the New Testament and he's all about love. Well, that division also comes into things like this where, well, in the New Testament, God's working through means sort of, or the Old Testament, he works through means and now he doesn't, or there's a separation where we don't, my background at least, American evangelical, there there isn't a good grounding in actually connecting the God of the Old Testament as the same God of the New Testament, who's consistently working in the same way in both. The, the common refrain is, maybe not the straight up heresy that they're actually different gods, you're left with that impression very clearly. So talk more about the, these ways in which God uses physical means in the Old Testament to deliver his promises to his people. And Pastor Andrews, let's start with you this time. Well, some of those physical promises that, I mean, we, again, with the circumcision, bringing you into uh, God's covenant, becoming part of his people where he has made that promise. I will be their God. They will be my people. Uh, that's a very direct physical connection for them. I think in terms of what you were talking about, one of the things I'd go to that most people probably don't go to quickly would be the temple curtain. As the Israelites had the tabernacle set up, the tabernacle is actually a very beautiful design. And I'm not going to talk about the specific design pieces of the tabernacle tonight, but just reading through Exodus, draw yourself a little picture of how it looks kind of from an aerial perspective. You end up with uh, the tabernacle, uh, the tent set up, and then all the way around the tabernacle, you have the, the tribes of Israel camping uh, whenever it's set up. In the Inside the tent itself, you're going to have the elements that actually foreshadow and point us forward to our New Testament sacraments. There's going to be the basin uh, for water, for baptism. There's going to be the table uh, for where they would keep the showbread for the priests. Uh, which points us forward then to the Lord's Supper. Uh, but inside the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, you have just the one thing. You have the Ark, which isn't just a box. Uh, it's actually designed to be, as we hear, the mercy seat is the lid of this box. It's the throne of God himself. The tabernacle becomes the place where God tabernacles with us. He dwells with us in that in that location. He's right there in the midst of his people from the aerial perspective. It's a beautiful picture. But where it comes in then is we can't stand uh, in God's presence because of our sin. Uh, that temple curtain, which uh, the traditions hold, is about four inches thick. Imagine a curtain in your house four inches thick. Wow. Uh, that, that curtain is there separating God's uh, location, his throne, from the rest of the people as a safeguard. Uh, to keep them safe from his his holiness. And then you come to the cross, to Matthew chapter 27, I don't remember exactly which verse, and what happens when Jesus dies on the cross? The temple curtain ripped in two from top to bottom, because mm -hmm. now creation is covered in Christ's righteousness, and we can come before the holy God himself, physically in his presence, and not just poof because of our sinfulness. And yeah. That's to hit a, a little bit of the physical part that you were talking about, but also that what's the bridge between the old and the new? The cross is that turning point. The new covenant versus the old covenant. It's the same God, but there's some, some really powerful stuff there. Yeah. Pastor Dirks. Yeah, you know, you bring that whole dichotomy up. I've had to deal with people saying, well, that's Old Testament law. The new Testament's nicer, and it's like, First off, we have to, like you said, it's the same God the entire way through. It's not like suddenly God changed or God became a new being. And honestly, it's one of the moments where you go, yeah, God in the Old Testament destroyed people for their sin. Jesus mm -hmm. condemns them to hell. Jesus is meaner if we're going to try and put it to American standards. Jesus is what he said. If you don't follow me, you're condemned. And so it really is such a backwards way of thinking that is very dishonest about how who our god is and how he has always spoken but Narrow you know path. yeah 
it is the narrow path. You're right. And I love some of the images you brought up with the tabernacle and everything. We're actually doing that in my Bible study right now. And so I'm going to remember that and steal your idea for my Bible study. Um, We actually have VBS. We had Splash Canyon. And I told the kids flat out, kids, in the Old Testament, when I see water, I almost always see baptism in the kind of the forerunning of God's promises being given. And one of the stories that kind of stood out to me every time is Naaman. Naaman's not a guy who really deserves it. He's got leprosy. And yet, how is he cleansed of his leprosy? He tries to buy it. He tries to talk to kings and other people. But eventually he's sent to the prophet. And he's sent to the Jordan River without the prophet even coming outside of his house. And he doesn't even want to go and do it because it's such a muddy river. I have better rivers up in Syria. I don't want to do this nonsense. And yet his servant girl convinced him to do it. And God's word attached to that promise with the water. He goes into the water and comes out and his flesh is like a baby's. It's not because the Jordan River is some magical river in some way, shape, or form. It's because of the promise that was attached to that means by which he was given that cleansing. Yeah. I mean, we, we can go. We can... One other one. Ooh, okay, go. And this was one that this is one that can actually set up the pastors for next week is Isaiah chapter 6 with the call of Isaiah. I mean, this is one of the ones that really you get a kind of cool foreshadowing of the Lord's Supper. But Isaiah, in the presence of God, sees God seated on his throne, trains filling the train of his robes, filling the temple, incense filling everything, the seraphim flying around praising him, and he goes, I'm gonna die. Uh-oh. I'm a sinner in the presence of God. I'm going to die. And one of the angels grabs a coal from the fire and comes up and puts it on his lips and says, Your sin is forgiven. And it's, we see the kind of consistency in the way that God continues to work in his church. You have the minister who speaks the promise of God and says, take, eat, take, drink. This has touched your lips. Your sin is forgiven. I know that's next week, but it's the same <laughs> idea. And when we're talking about the sacraments, it's good yeah. to bring up. Yep, yep. So the two others that have come to mind for me that I want you guys to talk about, too, is Moses raising up the snake in the wilderness and then the sacrificial system itself. I mean, both of these were means to, to heal, to cleanse, to forgive sins. Let's, let's talk about those two. Uh, Pastor yeah. Andrews, it sounds like you're about to say something, so I'll toss it to you. Well, I like what you just said. It's important to remember that they actually did things. You know, the sacrificial system wasn't just some convoluted idea of God uh, to get people to sacrifice their stuff um, and show their loyalty there's actually forgiveness granted through the Old Testament sacrifices, which, you know, you have the sin offering, the guilt offering, the burnt offering, the wave offering, uh, the incense. I mean, it keeps going. Uh, Reading through Leviticus, you get quite a few of those. But that actually, for us, becomes the beauty of Leviticus. I love church architecture for this, uh, the typical design of a a Lutheran nave the the church itself you've got up front you have the altar which calls our attention reminds us of those old testament sacrifices unfortunately altars are usually built out of wood so they'd be one and done um we've burned it oops another altar new altar the the altar business is booming that's what we're going to see from that would be the one at the international center is made of granite so we're we're good to go for several burnings yeah you you sure could yeah what's hanging above the altar what what do you see about the cross that the sacrifice of jesus christ trumps all of those sacrifices on the altar of the old testament So while they did give forgiveness, they were only a foreshadow. They were only pointing us forward to Christ and what Christ had done for us, or in their perspective, would do for us, uh, which is a beautiful thing. And so that's, to me, that's one of the greatest values that we still have from a book like Leviticus. Read it knowing that you don't have to make all these sacrifices. I mean, if you read it with that intent in mind, how much stuff would you still have left? I mean, how many offerings do you have to make for forgiveness? How great a sinner am I? What would I still have if I had to, to make sacrifice every time I sin, um, which is plenteous? Um, so it's just a great promise. Yeah. Pastor Dirks, with the cute kid on your lap there, tell us about the snake in the wilderness. 
Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, just as a side note, when I say that, I say something similar to that about the, the book of Leviticus and talking about how it's a beautiful book that shows the gospel and people's usual reaction is, that book was boring. It really got tiring hearing of all the different sacrifices. <laughs> I fell asleep. And, and it, it is very much making sure we keep in light, really, the true sacrifice that all of it is pointing to. Mm-hmm. And why they receive forgiveness is because of the one who was to come. I mean, sacrificing the animal wasn't the blood that washed. The blood that washed was Jesus. Anyway, the, the uh, snake in the wilderness, wonderful. I love that one, too. And we know this is very clearly about the Son of God because the Son of God told us it was. Yep. Yeah. This is, you know, Jesus says in John chapter 3, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so too the Son of Man will be lifted up. So, And, you know, I think Jesus... It's pretty trustworthy of a source on this kind of material. Yeah, Jesus interpreting scripture, he's probably right. Yep. Yeah, and you know, you have the people of the people of God. They they've been ha- in the wilderness for all those years. They're getting closer to the promised land, but then they say, "We're tired of this miserable food, this manna that you have given to us, that sustained us for all these years, that we didn't have to work in any way, shape, or form. Oh, it's not manly enough for us, like the good meat that we would have gotten in Egypt." Side note. They wouldn't have gotten meat in Egypt. They were slaves. <laughs> but they're they're just they put down this gift of God, and so they have the venomous serpents who show up and start biting people, and people die. This is you know consequence of sin. And Moses is told to put the bronze serpent on the pole, and anyone who looks on it will be cured of their affliction. And again, it is a means. Did God have to work in such a way in order to wash away the venom of their blood? No. God could have just said, all right, you're all cured. Let's move on. You got you got the message now. But it was consistent with how he has always worked among his people. And he has that. And just as a side note, there's no statement that the serpents are gone. The consequence of their sin, the struggle, the pain is still there. Yep. And yet they're able to look at that thing that is lifted up for their sake and receive cleansing. Just as we walk in this wilderness, we're able to look at the cross and see the forgiveness that we have. Yeah. Which then becomes that that Bible verse everybody knows. That's the context of John 3, 16. Mm -hmm. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish like they were perishing in the wilderness but have everlasting life. Yeah. Now, because we're Lutherans, we've already started. We can't help but talk about Jesus. We've already been moving towards Christ. And if, if we were just Lutherans talking about this stuff, we would have started with Jesus. But uh, because of the way I, I've introduced this conversation, we're kind of moving along, hopefully in the way that the conversation will progress. And so the next thing that's going to happen, that does happen, that might happen, at this point in the conversation is, okay, so you guys are just saying that if the people do these works, they'll be saved. And that you're going to say baptism is the same kind of thing. It's just a work. But what we haven't talked about yet is is the role of faith and belief in this. Because we, we have to talk about how, how that actually works. Because if it's simply look at a snake and I'm healed. If it's simply pour this water on with this right word, and and I'm saved, we're still missing something. We haven't put all the pieces together yet, so there's still more to put together. So let's talk about belief. There's more. If Moses says, look at the snake and be saved, I actually have to believe that, don't I? Like, if I don't believe that that's going to happen, not going to look, not going to be saved. Like, you guys see where I'm going with this. Let's talk yeah, about that rule of belief. Yeah. Right. I, I own wants to talk about this one a bit there, so we'll we'll give her her say. Yeah. <laughs> that actually quieted her down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So Pastor Dirks, we're on you already. So go ahead and let's start talking about this this faith belief relationship here. Because we are not all about our works. Yeah, you know, we always remember by grace you are saved through faith. This is a gift of God, not by works. No one can boast. That is the promise that we always remember. Repeat part of the final question just to make sure because the child distracted me. <laughs> we're, we're talking about the role of belief and faith. And it's not that it's simply 
the works themselves that save the the doing of the thing that saves but there, there's actually i have to believe in something I have, I have to believe in some way for this to work otherwise it is just works righteousness we are just working ourselves into our salvation in some way it's a work done for the sake of doing it thinking that just the actual act of doing it thinks me we did it yeah and i would point you to what jesus said whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved whoever does not believe shall be condemned the reality is baptism saves as a gift from god but it's a gift that can be rejected faith hears the word of god faith hears the words of jesus and looks to him as the one who brings those gifts and so faith hears those promises, hears those things that God has said, and clings to it. You know, if we do not have faith, we've given it up. Pastor Andrews? Yeah, I like to talk about the the root behind faith being trust. I mean, from its Latin origins, uh, to have faith simply means we trust in something. So what do we trust in? How do we trust in God? And uh, one of the things that I, I think plays into this and probably into the future of this conversation as well. Uh, I think about a, a small child, you know, you have a, a baby and, and you can see the, the trust already in that child. Who does, who does the newborn cling to? The newborn doesn't even want dad. Uh, the newborn only wants to be with mom in her arms because huh, that heartbeat is familiar. Um, you know, you think of just all the, the attributes of that child as they're so small and their simple desires, the, the simple things that need to be done for them. Uh, they cry. Why do they cry? Because when they cry, something happens. Um, they get food or they get their diaper changed or they get rocked to sleep or they get burped or whatever it is. And there's already, you see, we, we can talk about that as being faith. It's a trust it's a trust. It's a clinging to something going to happen. Um, and that's what we do with this as well. Uh, it's not that baptism is some grand work that I do. It's not that the Lord's Supper is a grand work that I do. Rather, it's a promise God has given, and I cling to it. I trust that what he has promised is valid and true for me. Uh, and, and that's where that comes in. Kind of in connection to that, we've been studying Exodus in Bible study with our Wednesday morning crew of late here at St. Matthew. And I, I stumbled across a quote from the fourth century Archbishop of Constantinople, Gregory of Nazianzus. Great name, right? I don't, <laughs> even, I don't even know what Nazianzus is. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm going to paraphrase it because it's too long for this, this uh, context. But in terms of the Exodus account and the 10th plague, the final plague, the Israelites are supposed to sacrifice uh, a lamb and then paint with the lamb's blood, paint their doorpost, so that when the angel or the God himself, uh, as it more clearly seems from Exodus, comes to destroy all the firstborn children in the land of Egypt, he will see the blood on the doorpost and he will pass over those homes. Uh, Gregory essentially says, look, which of you wouldn't paint your doorpost? And then in the same breath, he essentially says, so which of you won't baptize your child? Which right there, we have, that's another Old Testament means mm -hmm. right there where God says, use this mm -hmm. physical means. If you paint this blood over your doorposts, you will be saved. The angel of death will pass over you tonight. And once again, a very physical God's promise attached to something physical, which saves you. All right, there we go. Right, That's another one. Pastor Dirks, did you have uh, additional thoughts? I didn't know I saw you nodding your head there a little bit. Well, yeah, and the lousy thing to do is to, and it, Luther goes into this, and I think this is a place where we're going to end up going, is to separate faith from the thing that it clings to. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I like one of the quotes here. Let me find it real quick. That faith must have something with which it believes, that is, which it takes hold of and upon which it stands and rests. Thus, faith clings to the water and believes that in baptism, in which there's pure salvation in life. Not through the water, as if we are sufficiently stated, but through, but through the fact that it is embodied in the word and institution of God, and it goes on from there. I mean, the, yeah. the worst thing to do is to separate faith from the faith that thing that faith can cling to. It's why as soon as you don't have the sacraments, where do you start looking as evidence of if you're a believer or not? You start thinking, well, I know I'm a believer because I'm such and such a nice person or whatever. Faith needs something to cling to. 
And God yeah. gives us these external means for that reason. It's very much Gnosticism revisited. That is the belief that spiritual good, physical bad. It's that revisited when we start saying God can't work through external means because we want to make sure we're super spiritual. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, we ignore how God has always yeah. acted for our sake. Yeah, I, I want to read a, just a real quick quote from the large catechism here, page 424, paragraph 10, for those following along, to, to emphasize this point here. To be baptized, Luther says, in God's name is to be baptized not by men, but by God himself. Therefore, although it is performed by human hands, it is still truly God's own work. And when we're talking, end quote, and when we're talking about separating the faith from the objects, when we talk about baptism, we're doing it in this context of this baptism joins me to God in his name and it's his work. In the same way that when the the Israelites painted the blood over their doorposts, and were saved, it's not by their work that saved them, it's God saving them through his promise. And the same way the snake is lifted up. Did we just lose Peter? Correct me in my phrasing of this. It's not their their work of looking that saves them, it's God's promise saving them through through what he said would save them. The sacrificial system, you sacrifice these animals for your sins. It's, yes, they're doing it, but it's God's promise that actually does the saving. It's God actually acting to save yeah. in those. Um, that, get, that gets back to what I was trying to say about the babies, and I'm not sure I actually said it. We don't have to understand the promise. Yeah, those are all nonsensical things. I, yeah. yeah, that's a great point. This, a snake on a pole is going to save me? Who? What? Yeah. Faith, what? Is, faith is not a matter of understanding things. Faith is simply clinging. So God made this promise. I, I'm going to cling to it. I don't get how Christ's body and his blood are present in the Lord's Supper. I don't get it. But he promised that they're there, and he promised forgiveness is there. So I'm going to cling to that promise and take the Lord's Supper as often as I can. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's start talking about some of, some of the New Testament passages. We've had some good conversation about Old Testament. And I think hopefully those of you who are watching, listening, have have some good things to dig into on how God has always worked through means and all the examples in the Old Testament. And we've like barely scratched the surface, but let's move to Christ himself, because this is the move that as Lutherans, as we read scripture, not only do we believe the entire New Testament is about Christ, but the Old Testament as well. We believe that because the Gospel of John says it, Paul says it, I mean, it's all over. They're telling us it's all about Christ. And so let's let's make that move in talking about the object of our faith, which is Christ himself. Um, we, we, did, we actually haven't done an episode on this yet, but we could do an episode on how all those instances of God in the Old Testament, you could actually make the case that that's Jesus acting there. We, we had a little bit of a conversation about that on the side. So setting that aside, I'm just going to tease you with that um, while telling you that John says that and Paul says that. So it's it's biblical. Let's talk about the object of our faith. We have two passages we're gonna, we, we've got in our notes here. We have Romans 5 and we have 1 Peter 1 uh, to go to first. So pastors, how do we want to start this part of the discussion where we're actually, let's let's talk about Jesus. We're not We've mentioned baptism, but we're not actually going to make the case for that yet. <laughs> Let's make yeah. the case for Christ first. Yeah, I think it's useful to recognize that, you know, when we have the epistle, can you take her, please? When we talk about an epistle, we're talking about a letter that's to be read straight through. It's not like Paul wrote a magazine with different articles through the chapters or something like that. The different chapters are just numbers we just threw in to help us find stuff. You know, Where are all meeting- the pictures? <laughs> I, I wish there were pictures. That would be very lovely. Now, Romans 6 is the text that a lot of people immediately jump to for baptism because we re- we hear a lot of the promises that are given. But because the, the word that, is actually used. It actually yeah. says the word baptism. And it says so exactly what baptism does. But the thing that prepares us to hear that is in Romans chapter 5 when we hear about the grace of God that has been shown to sinners like us. 
for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that we are saved. You know, very rarely will someone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might dare to die. But God shows us his love for us in this. While we are sinners, Christ died for us. This is actually one of the texts that would help us lead into infant baptism. Mm -hmm. Hearing also the prophet David, when he said in sin, my mother conceived me. The reality is all people are sinners, children, adults, all of us are sinners who are in need of God's grace, which has been shown to us in Christ, who willingly offered his life onto the cross. And we see the forgiveness that he freely gives to us. And in that forgiveness, you know, we start with Christ. We start seeing his word, his promises, what he comes to bring. And then as we come to chapter six, we'd receive what he gives. For in baptism, that is simply what we receive. We receive Jesus. We receive his promises. We receive his gifts. We receive the goodness that he has won for us by that cross. As we're forgiven of our sins, made his own children, and given the promise of life. For we are baptized into his death, buried with him, and know we'll walk in newness of life because of what we hear in Romans 5. Yeah. Pastor Andrews, do you want to take us through 1 Peter 1? Are you, are you prepared to do that one, or do you want to talk about Romans a little bit more? I'm not sure what you had in mind with 1 Peter 1. I think <laughs> you just wanted to have your name in the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll start that one off, and then you guys can pick it up here. Okay. Um, I just got to get well, to I, that passage from the Romans. I, can, I have it right out. You know, we have blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again in a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hey, that language should already start sounding very familiar when we would talk about it as Lutherans. Yep. Because while everyone else tries to turn being born again into something that is done, I'm going to work extra special hard for Jesus. Well, no. Jesus said, he who would follow me must be born again of water and the Spirit. You know, water and the Word, water and the Holy Spirit coming. And so in 1 Peter 1, starts setting us up for hearing these words, remembering the promises of Jesus, so that when we get to Romans, I mean, 1 Peter <laughs> chapter 3, we hear, just as in the flood, which is a whole topic we could dig into, but I think yeah. we'll take the entire hour to do so. <laughs> you know, we, I'll just do the brief. In, in the flood, everything dies, and then everything's alive again. And just as in baptism, in baptism, we are saved. You know, you know that's why it says, you know, in the, over, the very often quoted text of Scripture by Lutheran, baptism now saves us. Because we're remembering what Christ has done on the cross. We're remembering his resurrection from the dead. We're remembering that it starts with Christ. And in baptism, again, we receive that gift. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're, we're talking in 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 3. The tie between those two verses is the word resurrection. I mean, that's where we've got. So the, the first, first Peter again. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the res resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then you jump to 1 Peter 3, and it's the end of that verse. Um, sorry, i got to scroll down a little bit further. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have Romans 5 directly talking about Christ's death and his resurrection, moving into chapter 6, where it clearly says, all right, now I'm going to toss it to you, Pastor Andrews. <laughs> Buried with Christ in our baptisms. Yeah. We and, will therefore also be raised with Christ as he was raised. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're right back to that, if I can use the word again, that ridiculous promise. Putting blood over my doorposts. To say to be saved. That's that's weird. Looking at a snake that's been raised up on a pole, this bronze serpent to be saved, that's weird. Now you're telling me if I get wet with God's word, which as as Luther has said, be baptized in his name. Because we, we have so actually let's talk about that. We haven't gone to what is this word that is used. When we as Lutherans talk about it's water and the word, it's not just I baptize you in Bible. 
That's that's the wrong word. That's <laughs> the wrong word. That's the wrong word. It's this <laughs> this this word is actually something. And yeah. it actually matters yep. which word it is. Now yeah. I'm gonna pass it to Pastor Andrews. <laughs> Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verses nineteen to twenty. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And behold, uh, in teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, there's a reason why Catholic churches, and I love their tradition, have the large baptismal font, and the people come into the church. It's in the narthex. They dip their fingers in. They make the sign of the cross. Um, we baptize a child or an adult, and we, we're doing that. We make the signal of, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We sign the cross, both upon the, the forehead and upon the heart of the one that we're baptizing. And then in our regular liturgical practice, as we're going through worship, you know, we see people make the sign of the cross over themselves, or you see the pastor do it over the congregation. Both of those moments are calling you back to remember the baptism that you've had. So what are the words? As simple as Jesus said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's such a simple formula. There's no need to tweak it or change it. <laughs> and, well, and actually the, there are church bodies that do tweak it and oh, yeah. simply baptize in the name of Jesus. And we would actually say that those baptisms are likely not true baptisms. Um, which is interesting, as Lutherans, we're going to accept just about any baptism as a valid baptism, apart from, you know, as long as they're cults, as long as they're Trinitarian. So, right, uh, we're we're pretty we're pretty open <laughs> in our we're baptisms. Not, I believe there are Christians outside of. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 one of the few groups who is not going to require you to be rebaptized, apart from, you know, those those exceptions where it may not actually be an actual baptism because, well, so once again, going back to the quote from Luther, we're being baptized into God's name. So when Christ says in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, that's being baptized into Christ. That's actually what that means. So once again, making that clear tie to what we talked about in first Peter one and then in three, and then in Romans five and then in Romans six following, Mm -hmm. If you want to be back, if you want to be in Christ, well, Jesus says, here, here's how you become in me. And here, here's what it does. Um, yeah. Any, any further thoughts on that as you guys want to expand there? Well, just the observation of some of the things that I've seen out there, there's baptisms in the name of the creator, redeemer and sanctifier um, baptisms in the name of, for churches that can't stand the idea that God would reveal himself as any way masculine uh mother lover friend is another one that's growing in popularity among churches so those are those aren't baptisms yeah yeah now we're, since we're kind of moving into this area we don't have to stick here we can always go back that's a nice thing we can always go back and talk about things that we've that we've missed but we did have a question come in in the grok moot today about baptism and it's, I believe, this is from Andrew. I believe Andrew is not a Lutheran, so it's, it's a fantastic question to get a different perspective. And Andrew asks, my non-Lutheran church had a baby commitment ceremony as part of the worship service this past Father's Day Sunday. My church tends to do this on the Sunday service around Father's Day or Mother's Day. Uh, so he's got three questions that come along with this. Now, we haven't gotten into infant baptism, so this may be a time where we can discuss that a little bit as well. But here is three questions. Have you seen something similar at your church, uh, Lutheran or non-Lutheran? Two, what's the reasoning and scriptural theological basis behind this, the commitment ceremony he's talking about? And his final question, is it legit from a confessional Lutheran standpoint? I mean, would, would we do this? Is this a practice that we would have in our churches? The only thing similar to a child dedication that I've ever seen in a Lutheran church is a baptism, because that is what we do. And, it, and it's not start, you know, I'm not when trying you say to be similar. By mean, that I mean doing what Jesus wants us to do. I, I get, re, you know, some of it. If I hope he, this doesn't, you know, when Andrew, when you hear Andrew speaking, I'm not speaking this from a mean way of trying to put it or anything, but 
I've gotten one of the things I've gotten tired over the years is when people say that infant baptism is a tradition of man and that we should just dedicate our children when they are born and everything. The reality is, where on earth did we get this idea for children's uh, dedications? That's the tradition of man. That's the thing that we made up because we started going, well, we aren't baptizing our kids, so we need to do something to say at least give us some comfort that they're a Christian. Well, then there's also a recognition that everybody, every Christian seems to recognize that you need to do something. Yeah. Because and if you're all not of us were baptized, well, what are your options? Because all of us were conceived in sin. Yeah. We realize all of us need something. And anyone who's had a child knows that children are evil, wicked things <laughs> a lot of the time. You heard mine just a little bit ago. I'm not getting my way, Dad. I'm upset by this. This is the, you know, you, you, you had to you, hand her off to your wife to take care of her. Yeah. And, and it's this moment where, you, you know, babies are, are sinners just like everybody else. And they need Christ just like everybody else. And so when we talk about having a baptism working for this is how God has always worked. You know, I could bring you to the times when households are baptized. I could bring you to the fact that Jesus says, let the little children come to me. I could bring you to God's to Christ saying, go into all nations, which includes children. But the reality is the place that I really easily point to is the fact that all of us need Jesus. And where do we receive him? It's at the font. It's at the washing and redeeming that we receive at that place. Because we come up with a whole bunch of ways to try and cover it up if we remove it. Age of accountability and stuff like that are all strategies so we don't have to worry that we didn't baptize our child when we simply have the promise of God and should trust that. Knowing Even that God is faithful. Yeah. Even though we're not thinking in terms of, I didn't baptize my kid, so I have to do this. But from our Lutheran perspective, as we're looking at it, we, we recognize this is the thing God has given for comfort. And when you don't have that comfort, we will naturally seek comfort somewhere. Pastor Andrews, what are your thoughts here? Well, this has been connected to so much of our conversation from tonight in, in many different ways. So as, as Andrew is getting at, we know children are sinful. Um, the, the, the groups that tend to not baptize kids will, will try to make their arguments, as he mentioned, age of accountability, those kinds of things. You know, but there's, there's no scriptural basis for that. And we think of uh, not just watching a kid. I mean, selfishness is one of the ways we describe sin as being pointed inward. Um, and, well, what's a baby but selfish? I mentioned earlier, every time they cry, it's always about wanting something for them. Uh, they're not crying because they see, you know, dad smash his thumb with a hammer. Um, well, they might be if he, he screamed because then they're scared, but that's selfish, <laughs> selfish again. Uh, so, but also with what Andrew was covering with Romans 5 earlier, Paul's clear that there's a reason we die. We die because we sin. If we weren't sinners, we would not die. And so there's that sad reality that none of us can escape. And it's, that's the true fact that children die. Mm -hmm. Babies mm -hmm. die. Why are they dying? The scripture is clear. They die because they've sinned. And all who have sinned are in need of a savior. And that, that brings us back to then, okay, how do we get these little kiddos? How do we get them into the hands of their savior? Yeah. What promises has he made? And that brings us back to the point about what is faith. Faith isn't understanding. It's just clinging. God made this promise. Uh, this is what baptism does. Uh, and you just cling to that. And so we baptize the child. And then we raise the child in the church to know who God is and what he's done for them. Yeah. So, 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 to, say, so to say it concisely, there's no scriptural basis for any of it. It's actually being done kind of cornerly, being based around Mother's and Father's Day. And instead of trying to do these other things, just remember God's promise. So let's talk about the, this, this idea of no scriptural basis, because we're all reading the same Bible. And it is not the case that Lutherans are smarter than, than Baptists, and we figured this out, and they haven't. That's that's not what's going on. It is also not the case that we uh, care about the Bible more 
than our Baptist brothers. I, I guarantee you I have Baptist friends and family who could probably pretty much show me up and how much they love the Bible as opposed to me. Um, so we, it's not that we're smarter. It's not that we love the Bible more, that we take it more seriously. That might be a better way of saying it, that I, that I take the Bible more seriously than the others. And it's not that our other, our, our other denominational friends are actively attempting to reject what Scripture says. But that's kind of when we get to this impasse, when we're, when we're confessing our faith, when we're talking to our friends, I know for myself I have said this. Well, I'm sorry, you're just rejecting the clear word of God. And until you stop rejecting it, there's nothing I can do for you. Or I've said, yeah, you're, you just don't take the Bible seriously. If you really cared about what the Bible said, you'd, you'd see this or, or any of those other things. I have, I have committed those sins, those Eighth Commandment violations against my other brothers and sisters, other Christians. How, how do we talk about this? When we seem to be reading the same scriptures, but we're not getting the same thing out of it, what what do we do here? You're you're certainly right about something that the Lutheran internet is very guilty of. When we, <laughs> when we have our moments when someone disagrees with our dropping of one verse, and suddenly, if they didn't accept our one verse quote from scriptures, that they have rejected the scriptures and the power therein. Or, or even multiple verses. You know, I've, yeah. I've thrown Romans 6 at you. Not. I've given you First Peter 3, Titus 3, 5. I mean, we got our list of proof texts. I've thrown them all at you, and you've rejected it. Therefore, we, you've rejected God's word. Yeah, and it's something we're really guilty of, and we really need to stop doing it. Because it, you know, the the path of correct of working with each other to find the what scripture is saying is not done by shouting at each other until the other person gives up. It is done by walking through the scriptures, recognizing the things that are going on, and hearing what all of God's word says, making sure we get rid of all of our own assumptions about the text and simply letting the text speak for itself. And one of the things that we end up running into as we talk is still that Romans five stuff that we were talking about is making, you know, one of the struggles we have as Americans is we live in very much the can-do culture. I can do this. I can work hard. I can earn whatever I want. You know, capitalism has its good that it does, but unfortunately we sometimes turn capitalism into a religion and incorporate it into our religion that I can earn God or earn something beneficial by my works that I do. And we have to sacrifice that kind of stuff as we look at the scriptures, because it's taken away from us. We have to see the scriptures speaking the way they do, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it's because of these kind of, you know, it's why infant baptism is one of the hardest steps for someone to overcome if they were going to become Lutheran. Oh, there's because, that evil child again. <laughs> yep. You wicked, evil child. Good thing for God's grace. Oh, we are. Yeah. Good thing for God's grace. <laughs> Yeah, she said, yeah. Oh, oh, you're so nice. All the podcast listeners, I'm sorry you're missing the adorableness that is my child right now. Anyway, it, it, it is a thing where we have to be ready to patiently read the word of God together, to walk together in it. And, you know, Galatians 6, if one of your brothers is off, support them in a spirit of gentleness. How far is that from internet culture right there? <laughs> well, yeah, we didn't even get to the, the earlier part of 1 Peter 3, which also says with gentleness and respect. Yeah. 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 I mean, what it comes down to, you know, the big, you know, I, and I know, and I think it might even be worth talking about dealing with the objections and stuff like that, that there are to baptism. Because I know infant baptism is one of the biggest hurdles to jump if someone would be considering to come to Lutheranism. And that's simply because of the assumptions we've been fed, the diet of the steady diet of can do theology that we've been given throughout our lives, where we need to just walk in the scriptures to be ready to talk the way Jesus talked, to point us back to our savior instead yeah. of trying to bash somebody in with a couple verses. Now, before I toss it to Pastor Andrews, because I, I definitely want to get your thoughts on this, I, I did have one thought, Pastor Dirks, as you were saying, our, our goal is to get rid of our assumptions. And I wonder if there's actually a different way to go about that, which is actually admitting what our assumptions are, or our bias, if we want to say that, which as Lutherans, we actually do have a bias. Mm -hmm. 
And that bias is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so whatever we're talking about, we're going to go, we're going to start with him and we're going to go back to him. Now, in this conversation, we actually did start with Jesus in the Old Testament. We just didn't use his name. And we're getting to Jesus here. And and so I found it helpful in these conversations. That's why we went to, let's go to Romans 5 first. And let's go to 1 Peter 1 first, because that's where you get the fullness of Jesus. That's our assumption. That's our bias. We're going to start there. And where do you get Jesus? Well, look, 1 Peter 3.21, you get him in baptism. Romans 6, you get him in baptism. And so it's it's actually saying, uh, yeah, I do have a bias. My bias is Jesus. Jesus. What's your bias? <laughs> yeah, Pastor Act- Andrews. So, you know, pick up on the, the original question here with this one, you know, why why do we read the Bible differently, even though we both um, we both respect and, and highly value it? And the answer to that question is sin. Uh, it's not, not, not to point fingers and say, ha-ha, I'm better than you, but rather simply to acknowledge um, that we're all sinners. I'll come before God's judgment throne, and he'll probably correct me on something, I'm sure. Uh, but the, <laughs> the, the point in terms of just mentioning that it's sin is, uh, Andrew, I like that you were bringing out a connection to capitalism for our worldview, but it goes back farther than that. It, it yeah. truly does. I mean, we as people, our sin is that we want to be God. Adam and Eve in the garden, what was the problem? They wanted to do it for themselves. Uh, and so this is what has to be overcome is that I can't do it. It, it, it has to be done for me. And we very much, you're right, we live in a culture where everything's about being independent. uh, And we overlook that, in fact, we're actually not independent. Where would I be without farmers around me who actually grow the food that I eat? Where would we be if, you know, uh, Peter's house caught fire tonight? Or if I had a medical emergency, if we didn't have those those people in our community to assist? God hasn't made us independent. He's made us interdependent. Um, we're always relying on one another, and that comes all the more so from from how God interacts with us. Um, I bring nothing to the table. I think it's Isaiah where we learn all of our good deeds are nothing but filthy rags. Uh, we don't bring to the table. We only receive. Uh, God is the giver of all things good, and that includes faith. It includes salvation. It includes forgiveness in and through the means uh, that he has chosen to use. Yeah. So we've got two things left on, on our on our show tonight. I have one final question and then close, closing thoughts from each of you. However, if, if the answer to your final question is your closing thoughts, let me know. And that, that'll be great because we are getting close to our time here. But our final question, putting all of this together. Um, Given the context that I laid out at the beginning of the episode, our conversation as we've walked through this, how do I talk about baptism and make it all about Jesus? Not about the work, not about obedience, not about the water, but how do I talk about it and make it about Jesus? What are we clinging to? I mean, all of those things, what's it actually pointing us to? If we, as we talk about baptism, what's the point? It points us to Jesus and what he's done. It's his words. It's his promise that we cling to. So, yeah, we can have the conversations, you know, do we, do we sprinkle? Do we pour? Do we submerge, immerse, all the different ways that, I mean, do we take somebody down to the river? Um, Drive by squirt gun. That's, that's a favorite one. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's always that thrown out there as an illustration point, but it does ultimately doesn't matter because all of those are water. They're all connected to the word. They are pointing us to Christ and the promise that He's made. Um, so, in terms of making baptism about Jesus, not about the the peripheral things around it, um, they are relevant because Christ commanded water, but um, it points to Christ, his command, his promise, and we cling to that. Yeah. Pastor Dirks? Amen. To what does faith cling? I mean, really, when faith clings to Christ, we recognize the promise that he has given, and that's the place that we're able to look. 
mean, it is, you know, you know, when Luther talks about baptism, it is very much the case of all things that brought him comfort. It was baptism, even though, you know, how many of us remember our baptism in this conversation right now? I do. Uh, do. Not me. Mine was in seventh grade. That's why. I was less than a month old. Yeah. Believe, Believe it or not, today is actually my baptismal birthday. Whoa. Dude, that's awesome. Best episode ever for this day. Happy baptism day to you. (laughs) Uh, Do we light candles now? What do we do with this? Do you still have your candle from your baptism? 30 years ago today. I don't know. that I I don't. I I don't know if my parents do or not. We, you know, when Luther talks about baptism, though, it's very much always remembering the promises of Christ attached to that gift. And this is, you know, how long is our baptism good for? It's something that we have happen to us. You know, when Lutherans do it, it's done to us as babies, or whether we came to the faith older, it's given to us then. This promise is good forever. You know, it, it's a place we didn't even get to today, but when we would see the white robes of those who are in paradise, that's your baptism. That's the promise that has given been given to you. And as we do walk in this wilderness that is this world we live in, and this is kind of my closing thought with it, as we walk in this wilderness, as we go through this world, whether everything is good, whether everything is bad, whether we're young, we're old, or we're laying on our deathbed, I can remember my baptism, which reminds me of the promises of Jesus, that by his death on the cross, he shed his blood to forgive my sins. He shed his blood so that I would not have to die the death that he did, freeing me from the powers of sin and death. And by his resurrection, I have that promise that though this body is right now going to turn to dust, that as I lay there dying of cancer, my God will give me a new body. That as this body starts to get older, I have two white hairs. It's horrible. As this body ages that I live in, my God will restore it. The day's coming. When this gift given to us in baptism, that white robe is a thing that we that will be even more apparent to us as Christ calls us from this valley of the shadow of death, calls us from the sin-filled world to dwell in his kingdom that has no end. Amen. Pastor Andrews, any closing thoughts there? Yeah, I want to close by kind of unpacking a couple of quotes uh, that are relevant to the week. So first... Any of those of you following along in the lectionary uh, that we are using in most of our LCMS churches, we had the parable of the mustard seed uh, this past weekend as the gospel reading from Mark. And Dr. Thomas Ager, one of our professors at the seminary in St. Louis, uh, in his writing to help, help study the text, said, As in the previous parable, the mustard seed contains the promise of its end, the full plant. In addition, this parable warns against despising the seed for its smallness. The cross may be foolishness, the means of grace unimpressive, but they are bringing about the end-time restoration of God's reign among his redeemed people. Just a powerful way to picture and think about that parable. Um, Yeah, it's just water. Uh, It seems unimpressive, but when it's the water and the word, when the promise of Christ is attached to it, it is indeed bringing about restoration. We can't see it but we cling to that promise that it's happening. And I, I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful way to put that from, from Dr. Egger. The other is to just share with you the last verse from our reading tonight, not verse, uh, the last sentence from Luther's writing <laughs> on, on this. The end of paragraph 86, he said, baptism will remain as long as we carry the old man about our neck. That old man that he's referring to is the old Adam, to use language that many might be familiar with. We have this old Adam, our old sinful nature uh, that we then daily drown in baptism. But this picture then is that the old Adam, uh, as we're sinners until uh, the point of death, um, the old Adam, just imagine having an old man hanging on your back. He's got his arms wrapped tight around you, and literally all day, every day, you can't get rid of this guy. He's just clinging to you. He's hanging from you, burdening you. And what does Jesus say about our burdens? Give our burdens to Christ, and he will take care of them. Uh, just That was a beautiful picture, uh, the way Luther phrased that, that you know, baptism remains. What is baptism? He had earlier in that same thing said, baptism is uh, in, in baptism are given grace, the spirit, and the power 
to suppress the old man. So Christ in our baptisms takes that old man from around our neck, suffocating us to death, uh, and literally took it to his own death as he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Dirks, Pastor Andrews, for joining our conversation this evening, for the wonderful teaching and discussion. Thank you, those of you who are watching live, who are listening after the fact, watching after the fact. We appreciate you guys as well. We are doing this for you to teach you how to think like a confessor. And so we will be back July 10th. We're actually going to take a two-week break because of vacations. We'll be back July 10th for the final episode in this series on the Large Catechism, where we will be talking about the Lord's Supper. So join us July 10th. Pastor Roth and Pastor Dembski are going to be our two pastors joining us for that. You've seen them before as well, so look forward to that in two weeks. Once again, subscribe. If you haven't yet subscribed, send us questions, questions at crucialproductions.org. Subscribe to the podcast. Go check out the website, crucialproductions.org. All previous episodes are there and a couple blog posts. Pastor Dirk's got up a favorite Bible verse post, so you can go check that out if you want to see what... I'm working on another one for you too, Peter. Ooh, nice. If you want to see what Pastor Dirk's favorite Bible verse is, go check it out. It's over on our blog. You can find that there. Once again, thank you for joining us tonight. This has been Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor, and we will see you again in two weeks. Have a wonderful evening.